Good morning. How about this morning? Good? Yeah, um, if you have some seats around you that you think, oh, somebody could sit here in a row, would you just slip your hand up um, so our ushers can kind of get a visual? Nobody? A few of you? Okay. Um, we have some people that are coming in, so trying to find seats, so that, that would be helpful for our ushers. Well, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, welcome to those joining us online. Do you know what's going to happen just a few weeks from now? It's Easter, and uh, on that day, I'm going to be able to say welcome to our Kindred campus. Uh, it's a video campus we're planting and starting in Kindred, um, and so that we're really excited about that. So we have this LAB project, which is we pick a project every year to raise money for something different, and this year it's our video venues that we're starting. And uh, so if you want to give towards that, you can give and just earmark it LAB. So in the first service, um, I thought, well, we're going to need a trailer because we're going to purchase all the sound equipment. We need a trailer to, uh, to haul it. And I said, well, if you, if you have a trailer, you know somebody has a trailer, an enclosed trailer up to maybe 12 foot long, uh, you know, let me know. Instantly, I got a, uh, I got a e- um, text and uh, somebody's buying a trailer. So isn't that awesome? So I got to think of something else now for you guys. Um, we're going to need children's stuff and that sort of thing, so, but I don't know specifics. So if you just want to give to the LAB, if you're interested in that, uh, that would be super excited. There's an information meeting on March 7th. That's next week. Yeah, after the second service and the FLC, if you have any questions about that or have interest in that, you can check that out after the second service. Illusion is, uh, illusion is defined as a thing that is or is likely to be wrongly perceived or interpreted by the senses. If you see this, that's an illusion. So uh, when we were on vacation, we did this, this house of illusions and we just we took this picture. We're literally only a couple feet apart there and it's just, um, there's trickery and it messes with the mind, it messes with the eyes and that sort of thing. But it's a thing that is or is likely to be wrongly perceived or interpreted by the senses. Uh, maybe you didn't know this, but I'm an illusionist. Uh, maybe you didn't know this, but maybe you are an illusionist. I, we, we're illusionists. We live under and through the illusion of control. So remember, we're in the series, Eternally Focused Life, and we're talking about how do we live in the here and now when we have this uh, focus on eternity. We may never say it out loud like I just did, but we're not, it's not real common that we would admit it, but our life screams it loud and clear that we're living under the illusion of control. I wonder, have we lived so long under the illusion of control that it is difficult to admit and certainly accept that we are not in control? It's so much scarier to admit that we're not in control than it is to admit that God is in control. If I knew that God was really in control of my life and I really thought that I could let go and I really thought that I could trust him with my life, my life would look a whole lot different. Until then, maybe we continue to live as an illusionist. Well, what, what are some uh, indicators that you might be living as an illusionist? And I thought about, you might be living under and out of the illusion of control if you use words or phrases like must or always or never or should have 
why didn't you? Or maybe it's something like this. You find yourself having to orchestrate all the events in your life, everything around you, so it'll turn out exactly as you picture in your head. Or you care more about being in control than you do a person. Or your idea and plan is always the best. Or you're not satisfied until things are perfect for you. Or others have become convinced that they don't have a say. Or you always get your way. Or you're defensive. Or you use gifts and money and sex to manipulate. Or you find yourself trying to help others see it your way. Or you find yourself rallying others to support your cause. Or you find yourself giving ultimatums. Or this one, in a discussion, you find uh, a way to always come back to your way. What is right. Is anyone here living under the illusion of control? Why do we want to control? We control out of fear? That things won't turn out the way that we want them to? We control out of anger because things aren't going our way? We control out of shame? We control out of woundedness? Out of pain? Believing that it will bring relief in this life. Let me set the stage with this statement. You will feel the most in control when you're under his control. So so first, if you're following along in the program or on uh, YouVersion, the illusion of control tells us that we can trust self more than we can trust God. And Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Listen, friends, we... We have an obligation to ourselves and to those who depend on us, spouse, kids, coworkers, whoever. We have an obligation to ourselves and those who depend on us to decide upon whom we are going to depend. Will we believe the illusion of control that tells us that we can trust ourselves more than we can trust God? To live an eternally focused life, we have to wrestle with this this issue of control that we all struggle with. According to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, we're, we're instructed to place our trust in God wholeheartedly and not rely on our own limited understanding. Our our insight into this life is like a water drop in comparison to the insight that God has in our life that's like an ocean. Imagine trying to orchestrate your life with just a drop of water because that's the only insight you have. Romans eleven thirty three and 34 says, Oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. For who can know the Lord's thoughts? Listen to this. Who knows enough to give him advice? The illusion of control tells us that we can trust ourselves. And when we trust in self, we are in fact saying we know enough about our life to give God advice. And I think, wow, that's really eye-opening. The word heart paints a picture for us. It, It means to trust in him with all of our emotions and our intellect and our understanding and our discernment, meaning there is a, there's no part of us that we should trust in self more than we are trusting in God. It is as we learn to trust him, we find that our paths are made straight according to the scripture. 
Proverbs teaches us in other places that those who lean on God have an easier, less problematic life. It makes sense because by leaning on God, we're removed from the equation of causing our own challenges and struggles. Many, not all of challenges and struggles have been the result, like for me, of this insistence to trust in self and not God. When we choose to direct our lives according to what seems right to us, we often reap disaster or confusion. Every culture has tried to get God to approve of its definition of right and wrong. But God never changes his standards. To do so would make him undependable. So we're invited here to depend on that which is consistent, God, true and right. He who can see from beginning to the end. He whose ways are greater than our ways. Whose understanding far exceeds our understanding. That's the invitation here. And so when it comes to decisions that need to be made, uh, someone might ask the question, which way are you leaning? Like if you're trying to make a decision, you're talking to somebody, they might say, well, which way are you leaning? When it comes to who is in control of your life, the same question can be applied. So when you think about who's in control of your life, which way are you leaning? Are you leaning more on the fact that you are in control or the fact that God is in control? We trust in the Lord knowing that he's in control. To think that we are in control of our lives is an illusion. I want you to ponder a question. I'll just give you a few seconds of quietness to do this. Is my attempt to control life because I trust myself more than I trust God? Just take a few seconds and ponder that. Secondly, the illusion of control tells us that we're more powerful than God. To believe that we're in control means we're more powerful than God. It wouldn't make sense to say that, well, my God has all the power, but I'm in control. Let's see what Scripture has to say about God's power. Colossians 1, 16-17. For in him all things are created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Everything exists in him, for him and through him. It's in and through Jesus that all things have come into being. All things were made by him, for him. This includes everything in heaven, everything on earth, everything visible, everything you can't see. Jesus is the primary cause for everything. He produced everything, and everything is for his pleasure. In these two verses, Paul was responding to the many heresies that were threatening the church. False teachings like Christ could not be both human and divine or one must adhere to human wisdom and philosophies or there is nothing wrong with immorality. So he was responding to these false teachings that were pressing in on the church and knowing the pressures of society that were closing in on the church, Paul's words make a whole lot of sense. He is reminding the church that God is all-powerful, and God is the one who holds all things together. He was reminding them, he's reminding us, you cannot outthink God, you cannot outpower God, you cannot outsmart God, you cannot make sense of God. 
Psalm 135, starting at verse 6, it says this, the Lord does whatever he pleases. Just ponder that for a second. He does whatever he wants. In the heavens and on the earth, in the seas and all their depths, he makes clouds rise from the ends of the earth. He sends lightning with the rain and brings out the wind from the storehouses. In the same way, friends, in the same way today, we have societal pressures closing in on the church. And if we turn to our own power, if we think we have the power, we will collapse under the pressure. If we look to the power of God, we'll stand strong. I'm going to share a few things here because uh, sometimes, you know, randomly somebody might say, well, we don't talk about moral issues. Um, We do. And I want you to hear a few things here, okay? Just some statements. Talking about a societal pressure that's on the church. Will we turn to ourselves or turn to God? We have pressure on us to devalue the life in a mother's womb. We have pressure on us to rethink marriage between a man and a woman. There's pressure to water down the gospel message by not talking about sin and repentance. So it's more palatable to to all people. There's pressure to be open to loose interpretations of the word of God. But praise God for Colossians 1, for in him all things are created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, indivisible, whether thrones, powers, or rulers, or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He has the power. The word of God is power. We believe we have more power than God when we believe we can hold all things together by succumbing to the pressures of this world that are on the church, that are on believers. And as soon as the word of God is no longer our authority, we have accepted the new role of captain of our soul. To be captain with no power simply does not work. So to believe you are the captain of your life assumes that you have the power. The illusion of control tells us we can trust self and it says that we can hold the power. Here's another question for you. Is my attempt to control life because I believe I have the power to orchestrate it in such a way that I am happy? Ponder that for a second. Thirdly, the illusion of control tells us that we know better than God. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. You have searched me, Lord, you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down, you are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. We have a God who is all-knowing, meaning that he knows everything that will happen before it happens. He knows who will live to see tomorrow and who will not. 
He knows what you'll be doing five years from now. He knows what you're going to be thinking ten minutes from now. He knows every decision you will make before you make it. Because God knows the past, the present, and the future because he is not bound by time. If he is all-knowing, if our God is all-knowing, then how can we say that we have free will? If he knows everything that's going to take place, then do we really have free will? Do we really have free choice to make the decisions? And the answer to that is absolutely, because God's foreknowledge and our free will are kind of two different things. It's just that we can't comprehend it. You see, because it was, let me give you an example. It was Jonah's free will to run from God. It was God's free will to have him swallowed by a whale. It was Saul's free will to persecute Christians and have them killed. It was God's free will to meet him on the road to Damascus. So God's foreknowledge is incomprehensible. His ability to know everything about everything is absolutely mind-boggling. He has, he has no mind capacity. He's read the book. He's finished watching the movie. He knows the end. God's foreknowledge in our personal lives. It's as though God uh, made a movie of your life before you were even conceived, and he memorized it. But not only did he do that, he's actually wrote the script, and he directed it. His need for foreknowledge is not to help prepare him to know how to react. It's not like a game film that a football team watches to prepare for the next game and, and they're watching their, their position or the counterpart and saying, well, if he does this, then I'm going to do that. His foreknowledge is not to prepare him. It's for us to take comfort in the fact that he already knows. His foreknowledge does not take away his, his present involvement. His foreknowledge is, is his present involvement and his future involvement. Guys, if, 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 if you're in control or if you think you know more than God about life and that God doesn't know your future and that he just reacts to what you do, that's called open theism, which simply says God doesn't know our future until you decide it. And then he just kind of follows you around and he responds to you. His foreknowledge involves our freedom of choice and his freedom of choice. If God doesn't know my future, then I could justify my anxiety. If he doesn't know what tomorrow brings and he had to wait for me to make up my mind, then how can I say he's all-powerful? His freedom would have the same boundaries as mine. My comfort is in the fact that God is in control and he knows everything. He cares about me. He cares about you, every detail of your life. As someone once said, my future is his presence. Because of his knowledge, his freedom of choice is greater than our freedom of choice, meaning that he has the right to choose differently than what I might have chosen. His freedom always overrides our freedom. Our freedom or free will has boundaries, his does not. If, if our free will overrides God's, then our choices and decisions in life predetermine God's actions. He then essentially is just a, a first alert responder because he acts out of the urgent, so to speak. That's that open theism concept again. 
And what we don't know and what we'll never know is how come God exercises his freedom only at certain times? Uh, You know, a guy pulls out a gun and shoots another person and kills them. Why didn't God intervene? Or a guy pulls out a gun and is ready to shoot another person and God does intervene and protects the person. Or, or, or a plane crashes and everybody is killed on the plane. And then, and then a couple months later you hear these stories of people like, I was supposed to be on that plane, but I got stuck in traffic so I wasn't on the plane. I missed it. God's freedom chose to save one and allow everybody else to die. Why? Don't be fooled into thinking that anyone will ever be able to answer that question. Because we do not know. My ways are greater than yours, God says. My thoughts are greater than yours. God has given us free will. But as you know, our free will does not always lead to Christ-likeness. Like we have all these abilities to make choices. Are we always thinking about, oh, how can I become more like Christ? No, we're not. His free will intervenes and uses trials and things in our lives to redirect us. So God is constantly trying to get our free will to align with his free will. And as I often tell people, I say there is no better place in this life to be right smack in the middle of God's will. God has a way to get us to want what he already has for us. His awareness, Psalm 33, from heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. And the thing about his involvement, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I want to take about two minutes and break apart that last verse. And we know. What do we know? We know that everything is under the authority of an infinitely wise God. That's what we know. In all things, all, any, everything, including afflictions, trials, persecutions, uh, calamities, the things that make sense, the things that don't make sense, all things are appointed for our good and for becoming more like Christ. Whether God caused it to happen or he allowed it, it's all. And the next word, God, almighty, all-powerful, most high, works for the good. Everything that happens in your life is considered to cooperate in the process of making you like Jesus. There is nothing that happens by accident. There is nothing, there isn't anything that happens out of his perfect timing. All things work in conjunction with one another. The good in this verse isn't what we might think as we think of the word good, It does not mean that God works in our lives so that all will be good in our lives, everything will be perfect, all will be comfortable, all will be easy. You have to think of the word good, but think of it from his perspective, thinking about us. It means good from his perspective. Good from his perspective means becoming like Jesus. He's not referring to the things that we might uh, have to go through that are good. He is referring to the outcome or the process of becoming what he would be considered good. To those who love him, the Christian who loves God is made more like Jesus by receiving all that life brings. 
who have been called according to his purpose, those who have been invited or appointed according to his purpose. The illusion of control, friends, is simple. We believe that if we're in control, we can mitigate our disappointments, our hurt, our pain, and our shattered dreams. And today we've been reminded that God can be trusted and that he has the power to change life and the knowledge to exercise his free will. At this time, uh, it'd be a good time to grab your communion cup if you have one of those. And um, if you didn't grab a communion cup on your way in and you need a communion cup, uh, just slip a hand up and we're going to have some ushers coming down uh, with some of those cups if you need one of those. So we've got a few down here that need some communion cups. Just keep it up, they're, 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 uh, they're looking for you. As they're doing that, um, let me leave you with the one thing, and it's kind of that, that same verse again, it's Romans 8, 28, and it says this, and we know, it's kind of back to that, and we know all things contribute to working out our salvation, and we know that in all things, triumphs and trials, God all-powerful, most high, I just gave some definitions to each of these phrases, works for the good, the process of making us like Jesus, of those who love him, heart, soul, mind, and strength, who have been called according to his purpose, appointed according to his purpose. Maybe you can take some time this week and ponder that one verse and just think about the different aspects. Romans 8, 28 leads into communion and Communion is a time for us to remember what was accomplished on the cross. And the invitation is for all those who have surrendered their life to Christ through the forgiveness of sin. And Jesus said in the scripture, he said, for, for who, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the bread, the wafer represents the broken body of Jesus the battered and broken body of Jesus. And the juice represents the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of sin. 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When you leave the auditorium this morning, there will be some garbage cans that you can, you can drop these little cups into. Just as a reminder... If you haven't been here when we've taken communion, we take a benevolent offering every time we have communion. And when you leave the auditorium this morning, there's a black box on a table that you can drop your benevolent offering into. And we use those funds to help people in our congregation that, that are in need. Um, so if the Lord lays it on your heart, um, that would be great. Would you please stand as we close with one more song in worship? <laughs>